following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcasting Network. For a full list of our shows, as well as breaking sports news and engaging feature stories, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com. Welcome to The Leftovers, brought to you by the Underdog Sports Network, with Josh Dunn, Anshu Khanna, and Dan Bauer. Hello and welcome to The Leftovers. It is Wednesday, November 14th. I'm Josh Dunn. I'm joined by Dan Bauer and Anshu Khanna. Anshu, how you feeling ahead of this uh, big Thursday night game that we're going to get to? Uh, well, we'll get to it, but not super excited. I am excited to be talking to you, however. How's it going? It's going well. Uh, excellent job on the solo show on Monday. Dan, how you feeling? Doing well. Recording from a brand new location. So, uh, new, oh. new setup for the leftovers. Thanks to my change in residence. Nice. I'm glad you finally got the professional studio that we've been talking about. So, congrats on that. Uh, I noticed your bed squeaking out from under you, so you must have gotten a new place to sit. That's nice. All all upgrades. Upgrades only. Um, Well, Le'Veon Bell's going to be hoping to get an upgrade here in the offseason. Obviously, there's been a lot of talk here on this show and really just in the sports world in its entirety about what Le'Veon Bell was going to do this year. And everybody was reporting that he was going to eventually – you know, report to, to the team and, and be on the field at some point this year for the Steelers. And I think, you know, at, at leading up to these last couple of days that he had the opportunity to, to, to get there and, and be able to play this season, you started to see that uh, maybe that wasn't going to be the case. And he opts to not report and won't play any football this season for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, he is hoping to, to be able to test free agency in the offseason. The Steelers do have the opportunity to transition tag him, which would uh, allow them to match any offer that uh, that he gets. But I think Le'Veon Bell's value on the open market will probably be something that Pittsburgh is willing to move away from and just move on from him and stick with James Conner uh, as, as their primary back moving forward. But, Dan, what do you think of this move, you know, in, in, in kind of – looking at the future of the running back landscape and, and just kind of thinking about what players may do here and, and what type of a ripple effect this will have on the league going forward. Yeah. Count me as one of those people who said he's going to report eventually no way he sits out the whole season. And I was wrong on that. And it's one thing, and, and we may have misreported this at some point. So apologies on that. But I know the three of us are all under the impression that if he didn't report by this week, then he wasn't, uh, that the Steelers, he'd be a Steeler again next year. So um, it turns out it's just the same as it was essentially last year with an increase in the ta- in the tag and the amount of money. But I, yeah, like you said, I, I doubt that the Steelers uh, do do that tag again, especially with how well James Conner's playing. It basically went uh, season for season with, with Le'Veon Bell of, of what his projections were. So why pay Le'Veon the, uh, you know, 20 times what you're paying James Conner? Uh, for the same amount of production. So I think it's an interesting move by Le'Veon. I think it potentially decreases his market value. If he goes in and he plays just absolutely off the charts because of how good the Steelers are playing, if he blows James Conner's numbers out of the water, it still proves that he's an elite back worthy of all the money he's asking for. By not playing anymore this year, he kind of it, it looks like he's replaceable. And uh, a season ago, it looked like he was one of the more irreplaceable running backs 
uh, or, or just players in general in the NFL, and now it doesn't look like that. So I little question him not playing at all this year because it does, I do think it, it brings down his market value. Yeah, and on to the optics here, you know, when you look at some of the offensive linemen who have come out and spoken poorly of Le'Veon Bell for this move and just kind of the optics from a, the team player aspect of things. I mean, obviously at running back, there's a lot of potential for injury because you're getting hit on pretty much every play. Uh, but what does this do for teams? And, and to Dan's point, looking at Le'Veon as his value here in the offseason as a free agent. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. The optics are uh, mixed, I would say, because obviously from a team perspective, it doesn't look, it can't possibly look much worse than the way he has just totally bailed on his team. This is really, you know, a, a first time move. We've never seen this happen before. There's no precursor to it. And, um, you know, we'll see if this sets the precedent for a lot of other players potentially not signing their tags and then just kicking that can down the road, especially running backs. Um, I would disagree with Dan on one point, which is I, I don't think that his market really was hurt by the fact that he didn't play. I mean, the fact is that he's only 26. Uh, you know, he, he put zero miles on his legs this year to add to that year where he missed almost a whole year because of injury. Um, you know, so I, I think that ultimately Bell is kind of a young 26 and he, you know, they've the Steelers have done a decent job of avoiding, you know, putting a ton of miles on his legs as far as you know, carrying the ball. Obviously he touches the ball a ton, but he doesn't necessarily carry it a bunch, which is obviously worse for a running back's future. But I, you know, it's interesting. He wanted 40 million in guarantees. Allegedly the Steelers offered him 17. They gave him a, a big, a pretty big offer, but the guaranteed money wasn't there. I don't know what the, you know, again, there's no precedent for him. You know, I wouldn't want the Packers to sign him. I know Chris Johnson came out and tweeted the former CJ2K came out and said Bell in green Bay and, a bunch of emojis. I just, I don't see that. I wouldn't want that with like Dan said, I mean, you've got a guy that's making literally 20 times less in Aaron Jones. Like there's just no need for it. So I do think there will be some desperate teams out there. The jets have a way too much money to spend. There will be others and Bell is still a talented player, but you know, I, I do think that uh, he, I don't think he'll come close to the 40 million in guarantees that he wants. What about Baltimore? I mean, do you think Baltimore's a team that might go out and, and make a move like that? that i mean they're going to potentially be looking at seeing what lamar jackson can do if flacco mm. can go this weekend and you know having a, a running back that you know so good out of the backfield like that and and i think Le'Veon bell would almost like to, to put it to the steelers twice a year and go to an inner inner division rival yeah that's really interesting i mean i think part of what bell's calculus needs to be is the scheme um you know you look at what christian mccaffrey is doing in carolina and again similar to what i was saying about bell like you need to go to an offense that's not going to put a ton of miles on your legs, especially if you don't get a long-term fully guaranteed deal. There's a decent chance Bell becomes a free agent again when he's like 29 or 30 years old. And if that's the case, you know, you want to go to an offense where you can be productive but not, you know, running the ball in the, between the tackles a bunch. Uh, so if the Ravens, you know, say they get, I don't know, some a, a more unique offensive mind and you put that – Put Bell next to Jackson, as you were saying, I think that's a great, that's a really, really interesting fit for the Ravens. Yeah, it's going to be fun to kind of watch this offseason and see how this story unfolds, because I think, like like we said in the onset, it, a lot of us expected to see him on the field at some point this year, and I think I think Connor's production, you know, kind of put a dent in that plan. And, yeah, do you uh, think if Connor wasn't as good, say he was okay, right? Like, not, he has eight runs of 20 or more. If he doesn't do that, like... 
say he has, th- you know, two thirds of the production. Do you think that Bell is a stealer today, Josh? I, I mean, I do. I think that the production has a lot to do with it. And I think that it, from the Steelers perspective, it has a lot to do with it because they were looking at it as what Dan brought up is the point of, well, why would we pay this guy all this money if we're getting the same production or better out of out of James Conner right now? So I, I get it from the Steelers perspective, from Le'Veon Bell's perspective. You know, I think that the Earl Thomas thing kind of threw a wrench in there. I, I, I think that with him getting hurt and him just kind of seeing that all unfold, you know, he, he just thought to himself, why would I put myself at risk for a team that doesn't want to pay me next year when I could, you know, pull a Ricky Williams and take a year off and not, you know, not have to worry about that potentially happening. And and also not playing for a team that, that clearly doesn't see this, you having the same value that you see in yourself. So I, I think that it, it definitely would have changed things if Connor hadn't been as productive as he had been. But it also kind of poses the question of, well, maybe it's just the Steelers scheme, because it seems like whoever they put in there has uh, has production. I don't think James Conner would be as productive of a back he is on pretty much any other te- team. I just think that their offense is very conducive for the success of that position, and I think he fits very well into that scheme. So even when Bell's been hurt, he who is or been suspended, even who is that other guy that was just awesome last year for the first few games of the year? I mean, you're right. Your point is well taken. Like they've they've basically put in whoever into the backfield. Uh, D'Angelo Williams, I think, yes, is who it yes. was. And whoever it was just like got plugged in and was awesome. So I, I think it's a really good point. It, it could very well be what the Steelers are running on their offense. Yes. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll kind of obviously be talking more about that in the off season, but at least we could put that story to bed for now. Uh, so happy trails to Le'Veon. We'll see if he uh, lands somewhere that's a little bit more, uh, you know, of an opportunity for him to see the field next year. Uh, wanted to talk a little bit about the field conditions of the Mexico City. Is it Mexico City where they were supposed to play this game? Yeah. So the Rams Chief was supposed to be played in Mexico City. Uh, they tried to get sod down there and, and, and this field in, in somewhat of a playing condition, but it, it wasn't close. So they ended up moving this game to L.A. Uh, how much of a benefit is this on you for the Rams, who have obviously been on a tear this year? This is a huge game for both teams. So it moves from a neutral field in Mexico now to Los Angeles, which is the, the Rams' home city, obviously. Yeah, it sounds like Vegas only moved the line one point, which I don't really understand. Um, maybe that's a part of that is that the Rams don't have a huge home field advantage. Part of that is that the Rams fans at home are, you know, they're they're closer to Mexico City. So maybe, you know, they assumed there was some slight home field advantage for the Rams there. But in any case, that's, you know, that's probably like, I don't know, like an 8% if we're being completely analytically inclined difference. So uh, just in terms of win probability and the way that money lines work. So that's pretty much the mathematical answer. The real answer, I think, is that, you know, it's a big difference. I mean, the, the difference between going out and like, you know, the Rams even had already started practicing in Colorado Springs on Monday to prep for the altitude of, of Mexico City. So both these teams were, you know, I think. I think that there are a lot of logistical things to take into account here. And especially when you think of the wildfires in California um, and the fact that the Rams are going to bring a bunch of their, apparently a bunch of their people with them, um, like their support staff all the way to Mexico, to Colorado, then to Mexico city. Uh, It's a big, it's a big difference. Um, And I think that the same thing goes for Kansas city. So to go from a quote unquote neutral site to LA is uh, it's going to be interesting. And it changes the complexion of what's going to be, you know, arguably the game of the year. Yeah, it's definitely a big one. Dan, what does this do for the, obviously there's been a lot of these moving games to Mexico and London. I mean, do you think that this has any impact on that moving forward? Do you think we're still going to continue to see the NFL trying to have these games 
you know, in, in different markets to try to build the brand? Or do you think that this maybe is a reason to, to kind of look at going back to the more traditional, you know, keeping the, the teams having eight games at home and eight games away each season? I think, no, I, I think it'll stick. I think this is a one-time anomaly. I think it's a lesson learned for the NFL. The NFL is always trying to grow the game. I expect it continues to try to put games not only in London and, and Mexico, but South America and Asia. I mean, at the end of the day, the NFL is there to, to make money and protect the brand and expand the brand as much as it can. So I think this is more just a lesson learned for the NFL and Roger Goodell of, of hey, maybe we should wait until the week before to check in on field conditions. Maybe we should have a little bit more of a say. And, uh, you know, from a legal perspective, right, maybe we put that more contract language in that says we have a lot more control over the stadium and the, the grounds and all that stuff uh, to to really make sure this doesn't happen again. I think this is a, a black eye, but, uh, you know, something that's going to heal, not a, a, a torn ACL that will never be the same on uh, on how you want to do your international trips. And, and one thing I wanted to point out on the advantage, I actually think this is a little bit more of an advantage from the Chiefs in terms of how much they've had to travel lately and, and only having to go to L.A. versus going to not having to go to Mexico City uh, and deal with that altitude di- uh, difference. I mean, they've within the past handful of weeks, they've had to go to Cleveland, to the Patriots, uh, and a couple home games in there. But the less travel for them, I think, the better. The Rams have, have been able to stay close to home or have a lot of home games. So a little bit of a benefit to the Chiefs of, of less travel time, a little bit more normalcy, I think. Okay, that's a that's an interesting uh, mm-hmm. spin zone, but I think Rams <laughs> definitely have the advantage because they're playing in front of their home crowd. And interestingly enough, we've we've talked about L.A. and how their fan bases are not the best, but they uh, watching a couple of their more recent games at home. I mean, they do have those stadiums actually look packed. So uh, yeah. we'll see if that does have an impact on the game. Let's move to a game that is going to be played where it was scheduled to be played. This one's near and dear to Anshu's heart. This has been a, a, a rivalry, I guess you could call it. There have been some games between these two teams that have come down to the wire. There was that interesting, uh, was it that Hail Mary uh, call during the Packers-Seahawks game a few years back. This one's going to be played in Seattle. Anshu, your Packers in need of a win. I think this is a game, kind of one of those are-they-for-real type of games. For the Packers, obviously Aaron Rodgers is the healthiest he's been all season. Aaron Jones having a breakout game in the, the Packers' most recent performance against Miami. What do you think your pack does here as they travel to the Pacific Northwest? Uh, I gotta tell you, I do not have a good feeling about this. Um, they go to Seattle without Kevin King, Nick Perry, Randall Cobb. Um, you know, the, I think that they are going to be shorthanded as they often are, as, as many teams are at this stage of the season. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be tough. Like that, that is arguably the toughest place to play relative to like a neutral site. And they have, they had the late game on Sunday. So they basically have no time to turn around. Um, they're already flying out there. Like it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like a really great opportunity for the Packers to pull off a win. And you're right. They do need one. They're four, four and one Seahawks are four and five. I mean, both these teams badly need this game if they want to win. I mean, the Seahawks go four and six. They essentially have to run the table to make the playoffs. So going to be really tough for them. The, the Packers, they, their schedule eases up quite a bit in the second half, but they still need this one. Um, and this, I mean, man, you talk about a gauntlet. I, like the Packers had to go to L.A., to New England. Then they had that Dolphins basically bye week. And then obviously going to Seattle. And I think they go they go to Minnesota next week. So four of those five games on the road against NFC, you know, contender or contenders in the NFL is pretty tough uh so i i do not have a good feeling about this josh unfortunately 
Well, Dan, obviously the, the Seahawks, you know, they played the Rams pretty tough for the majority of that game. They're trying to get healthy in their own right, as Anshu mentioned, a lot of teams are at this point. But, you know, they, they've got a situation where their biggest strength, you know, they've get Chris Carson hopefully back here on Thursday. Uh, you know, he's obviously been their, their, their guy at the running back position. But Rashad Penny then, their first-round draft pick from this past draft, uh, has a big game where while well, Carson's out last weekend. So the Seahawks, it's going to be interesting to see if they can kind of hold that home sur- uh, turf there and, and figure out a way to win this game against Aaron Rodgers, one of the best of all time. Where do you see this game kind of unfolding? Yeah, you mentioned that home turf. And they're, they're only one and two this year at home so far. Obviously a small sample size. And uh, the Packers still winless on the road, so 0-4 so far this year. Uh, Is the 12th man dead? His, I, I think the 12th. I think the 12th man only exists when Seattle is above 500. So I'm not too, you know, this could definitely be one of those games. I think the Packers can pull it off. Uh, I mean, a lot of injury issues, like Anshu mentioned, uh, but it's still Aaron Rodgers. And I I said on a previous show, I'm done betting against him. So I'm just going to take the pack pretty much every time uh, from here here on out. But uh, this is a team that uh, if you're Seattle, you're going to have to rely on your run game. Uh, and you're going to have to beat the Packers in, in that fashion. I don't think there's any way around that at this point. So uh, you mentioned Chris Carson coming back, which is going to be a, a big help to them. So if they can keep it on the ground and keep it low scoring, they have a shot. But if this thing turns into a shootout, I think Green Bay can take one on the road. Yeah, this Seahawks backfield starting to look a lot like the Eagles backfield right now. There's like four running backs that all get playing time. I just, I, I don't get it. Why don't you stick with a workhorse? But uh, they, they like to have that variety and it's, it seems to have been working for them so far this year. It's going to be interesting. That's a fun game. I'm very much looking forward to it. Uh, I hope your Packers can pull it out, but I think this is going to be one that could come down to the wire like so many Packers Seahawks games we've watched in the past. Um, so that, that goes from, from one feud and one rivalry to a, a new rivalry. And this one's between two players on the same team and it's in a different league, the NBA. So we've got Draymond Green and Kevin Durant exchanging words at the end of regulation against the Clippers a couple nights ago. And, uh, Draymond apparently called Durant a bitch and, uh, you know, had some choice words for him. Uh, basically the, the, the reports that came out today said that, uh, Draymond felt like Kevin Durant disrespected him. But what happened initially was Draymond turned the ball over, uh, when there was a last second opportunity to win the game, they were tied up, ended up going into overtime and losing the game to the Clippers. And Durant wasn't happy that Draymond basically dribbled it out. Uh, so, uh, this is interesting. Draymond gets suspended for a game. This is an internal suspension, but you know I've got to ask, and we'll start with you, Anshu. This this whole situation, you know, it, although it doesn't seem like something that that's so drastic when you look at it on the surface, it's a one game suspension. These are two players that are going to end up making up, I'm sure. But the pending free agency that looms for Kevin Durant, you know, just just what that does for that whole situation. A lot of people have already speculated that Durant's going to leave the Warriors in the offseason after winning one more title. So I ask you, what do you think happens here? What does this fallout look like? And what's your reaction to the situation? I think that the situation is significant. I I totally agree with you. You know, I think that the Warriors handling of it speaks more than the actual incident itself, because you don't just suspend one of your key players like Draymond Green for nothing. I mean, everyone knows that Kevin Durant is super sensitive. Um, and the fact that, you know, they're suspending Green for a little altercation, you know, if it was minor, then they definitely wouldn't suspend him. The fact that they did voluntarily, especially with Steph Curry out, just I think says what it needs to say, that the Warriors are nervous they're going to lose Durant 
They will do anything to make sure that he feels comfortable and wants to come back next year. And I, I think that when you read the quotes, I mean, Steve Kerr is generally fairly candid. I think that he he pretty much said as much. I mean, he said no one's talking about Kevin's pending free agency here, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it totally, that is what it is. Everyone's nervous that he's gone. Um, I think they assume that he's gone, and I, I do too. I would be... I would say it's more than 50-50 that he leaves for sure, uh, leaves the Warriors next year. Yeah, Dan, what do you think? I mean, Durant obviously is the focal point of this Warriors team now. He's kind of taken the reins of that, I think, from even Steph Curry. I mean, he's the guy you want the ball in the hands of in the last seconds of the game. Definitely isn't going to be Draymond Green that you want with the ball. Um, Clearly. But but do you agree that Kevin Durant's probably going to be leaving this team here this offseason? I think Kevin Durant is going to go wherever is best for Kevin Durant. And so it depends on, you know, he's got his title. Uh, does he want to make the most money possible, which he hasn't shown. You know, he, he took that uh, that role with the Warriors on a reduced salary. Uh, if he can go, I think he's going to just go max out, max out. I think he's going to follow that trend of the LeBron James one-year deal, one-year deal, uh, and get his a new max every single year. So, uh, I think Kevin Durant is, you know, he's got his title. He's got, uh, he's got his finals MVP. He's got a, a sort of the proof of uh, if he wants to be, he can be the best basketball player in the world. Uh, now I think he's probably going to go get his money somewhere. Uh, whether that's a long-term deal or, like I said, I think more likely you see him hop from team to team and whoever's going to give him the ma- a max contract in a city he wants to be in. I think that's where you see uh, Kevin Durant finish out uh, what's left of, you know, still a decently long career left, but I think that's what you see him do. Yeah, throwing out an interesting dark horse. Watch out for the Clippers to sign Kawhi yeah. and and Kevin Durant. I, I think that they could be a team this offseason that's been positioning themselves to make a huge move with this huge free agent class that's going to be coming. I think Clay goes back to the Golden State, and Golden State still stays the class, but I, I, I think a Kawhi-Kevin Durant uh, duo would be a very interesting one uh, to compete against LeBron and whoever they're able to kind of lure in in this offseason. But don't that, rule them out. That Clippers team is actually playing pretty well with their scattered pieces this year. So if you add two stars to what they have, uh, I, that could be a really interesting dark horse. I agree with that. I, I do still think the Lakers are going to land someone huge. I just don't really see who it's going to be right now. And a lot of people don't want to play with LeBron. I mean, I, there's sure. there's reports out there that, that they just don't, you know, and that was Jimmy Butler, one of the things that they were talking about with him. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll be interesting to see where KD goes, but uh, it's going to be fun to watch this feud. The two teams I hate the most having these uh, these these the drama-filled seasons, so the Steelers <laughs> with Le'Veon Bell and now Golden State with Kevin Durant and Draymond Green. I could sit back and watch that with popcorn all day. But, guys, let's get to our, our oh, by the ways. Uh, Anchi, what do you have for us? Well, the college basketball season is in full force. Last night, my Badgers go on the road to Cincinnati, and they beat Xavier 77-68, which is a, a fun one for me. Not as fun for our buddy Steve. Apologies. But this Badger team, healthy and uh, looks like it could be back in Big Ten contention. So pretty excited considering how bad this football team was this year. Rough week for the letter X. You had Des Bryant going down with the, uh, the torn Achilles, and then Xavier <laughs> losing to Wisconsin. <laughs> so, yes, uh, my, my oh, by the way, I'm going to uh, stick with a zero bias oh, by the way. So the Cincinnati Bengals fire Terrell Austin, their defensive coordinator, who has been 
you know, coaching the worst defense in the NFL in pretty much every category statistically. Uh, Marvin Lewis, who has uh, historically had a great defensive mind, is going to take over the defensive signal calling, which I actually think is an interesting and good move for the Bengals. Uh, but they also hire Hugh Jackson, who was recently fired from Dan's Browns. Woo! Hugh Jackson's going to be a special assistant to Marvin Lewis, so I'm not exactly sure which area he's uh, going to be helping with. But I assume sounds like defense, which is interesting. Yeah, and he's 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 been a corner coach in the past. Uh, he, he's 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 done a lot of different areas, obviously. But uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if if that impacts the season in any way. But I, I do think that Marvin Lewis calling the plays on defense is is a huge improvement. Um, you know, he obviously was a defensive coordinator for the Ravens when they won a Super Bowl. Uh, you know, he was with the Steelers for some time as a defensive coach. So it's it's going to be interesting to see uh, if this defense can somehow pull together and and actually uh, put up one solid performance because they've yet to do it this season. Uh, except for the first game they had of the year against the Ravens. So that's interestingly enough who they'll be playing this Sunday. Dan, what do you have for, oh, by the way, please take us home. Yeah. So two really quick things before I get to mine, but I want to say uh, a hilarious tweet or something I saw of saying, what's Hugh Jackson's job going to be. And it said, uh, essentially slowing down Baker Mayfield is his specialty. So that's what he's going to do for you guys in Cincinnati. Love it. And I want to say, uh, your transition's just really on today, so good job. Agreed. Taking, taking good notes, uh, <laughs> apparently, learning from the best on that one. So, uh, you are the best, my friend. <laughs> yeah. But my, oh, by the way, uh, very near and dear to my heart, uh, is youth baseball and coaching. Uh, a very interesting story. Major League Baseball is starting an elite youth league next summer uh, with 80 of the USA's best high school prospects. The, the thought is it wants to try and eliminate some of the the pay-for-play, the really expensive travel programs that are, are cost-prohibitive for a lot of people uh, that just can't afford to spend two, three, four, five, six, ten thousand dollars uh, a summer on there to travel around and watch their kid play baseball all summer. So that is uh, pretty interesting, and uh, you know, we'll keep that story. I don't know how much news there's going to be about that, but uh, we'll keep you updated if there's kind of anything interesting coming out of there. Yeah, the guys that you're watching in the Little League World Series, you know, this will obviously help their careers as they look to playing uh, beyond that level. So uh, excellent stuff. Anything to add for the good of the group from either of you guys? Happy hump day. Love it. For Anshu Khan and Dan Bauer, I'm Josh Dunn. This has been The Leftovers. <laughs>